right, ladies and gentlemen, Pastor Eli James here, along with Michael Swede from Sweden. Are you with us, Michael? Uh, I'm with you, Pastor. Do you, everybody hears me all right? Okay. Uh, uh, okay, now it says, now silence. Well, <laughs> uh, no, no, the uh, stream time says it's going good. And uh, we're getting ready to do part two of the... Uh, the, the show we started last week, the Scandinavian origin, or the Israelite origin of the Sc- Scandinavians, okay, a very general and broad focused, uh, uh, yes, okay, Bavarian man says, um, sound is okay, and uh, so, very good, all right, so, uh, I had to uh, uninstall the broadcast tool that we use, which is, is called BUT for short, broadcast using this tool it just was acting up horribly yesterday and so i'm hoping it'll hold up after reinstalling it they actually updated the program gave it a couple of new features that i really like so very good thank you sussex man bavaria man nimble horse and swamp fox everybody and brother Aber. thanks for being here so today part two of this series is going to be very very broad in scope and last week we talked about you know how the israelites uh, became vikings how the israelites became vikings and that required a a study of the terrain of western europe which would be east of i'm sorry west of the ural mountains including moscow uh kiev uh various places in in europe that uh, are very important for our ancestors who uh, traveled north from the Caucasus Mountains all the way up to Viking land, which is Sweden, Norway, Denmark, etc. today, Finland, etc., those areas. So uh, uh, Michael and I have been researching this topic uh, very much and uh, looking forward to uh, you know, explaining all of the uh, migrational paths our people took. And so what I want to do is uh, start off where we left off last week with the uh, Don River and the history of Lithuania, etc. Okay, so Michael, you should have those links uh, in your chat area. Okay. Yes, I will be looking at just finding where yeah. Skype did go. Yeah. Uh, there. yeah, in the chat area. And then I will share this link with the people in the chat room. This is going to be a uh, heavy-duty history, geography, uh, (laughs) um, geology, archaeology lesson today. And it's going to be fun. It's going to be a whole lot of fun. And so here is the link to the current article we were discussing, the Don River. And so the question is, how in the world did the Vikings, uh, the Israelites, get up to the Baltic Sea? You know, what, what, was the, what was the path that they took? And so it really is the Don River. And if you open up this uh, article here, ge- uh, geography.name forward slash Don dash river. You see that from the Black Sea, 
northeast to the Sea of Azov, and where into which the Don River empties. The Don River uh, was close to the Volga River, and uh, whether or not that the channel that uh, connects the Don and the Volga existed in ancient days doesn't really matter, because our ancestors were good at fording, that is carrying their boats from one uh, river uh, water to another, and uh, they did this frequently in the trek from the Black Sea to the Finnish Gulf. Okay, so are you able to see this map, uh, Michael? Oh yes, I'm looking at the map right now and seeing uh, from the Caspian Sea. That's uh, where where they uh, might have traveled then up from yes. uh, up upward toward them and then up in yeah the place where Volgograd is, and then you have this. This what do you say? This inter this cross crossings where you can go to Rostov on Don and out to the Black Sea. Yes. And then just follow the Don River upward northward. I would say yes, north, yes. and then it will be a bit northwestward. Right. So basically, the, the between the Black Sea and the Caspian Sea is where the, the Caucasus is, the Caucasus Mountains. Okay. And so our ancestors crossed the Caucasus Mountains. Some of them didn't bother crossing the Caucasus Mountains. Some of them went by ship. All right. So the and the the people, our ancestors who went on the eastern side from the Caspian Sea, are generally referred to as Scythians. Okay. And the Volga River dumps into the Caspian Sea. But this map doesn't show the connection. I think. Uh, where where does the Caspian Sea empty to? I'm not sure, but anyway, you can take the Volga River up uh, to Samara, Kazan, Novgorod. Novgorod was a major trading center, and uh, c- continue north, 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 north uh, near Moscow, and this is about 800 miles west of the Ural Mountains at this point. And then you have the Rybinsko Reservoir, and a a channel was dug between the Rybinsko Reservoir in recent times to Onega Lake, which is very, very far north and not far from the Finnish Gulf, which, uh, and then the river uh, Neva, I believe it's very small, hard to see the writing, I believe it's the river Neva, that empties into the Finnish Gulf at St. Petersburg, you know, where, of course, your Viking ancestors came from. <laughs> okay? So, this is a long trek. I, did, I haven't, uh, uh, I haven't uh, checked the mileage here. But for our ancestors who were very good at sailing their boats upriver and downriver and fording from one body of water to another... This was not out of the question. In fact, you know, we talked last time about how our ancestors in uh, approximately 2000 BC even came to America. Okay, so compared to that, uh, this uh, this trek from the Caucasus area to the Gulf of, uh, I guess it's called the Gulf of Sweden, we can see that uh, this was not a real major challenge for our ancestors. Over to you, Michael. No, exactly. Yeah, when uh, I did take a look, we know that uh, uh, I guess also that Russia is a vast uh, nation; it's a vast country. So um, 
when you see those dots there or the lines there, as I said, there are no scale on it. By 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 then looking on a map, you see that those are vast areas they have had covered. But of course, they did cover those um, those areas faster by boat instead of being by, on horseback or by on foot. So this was the, I guess, the preferable way for them to travel. And it's also interesting to see that Moscow is like uh, you have this main line ag- along this. Uh, along the the river uh, dawn i guess uh, and then you see that moscow is just is like in the in the um, in the uh, no it doesn't continue i don't know they forgot the english word for it but it's um uh, and then we continue up to those bigger lakes here so you mean they did dig uh, between this rubinsky reservoir and the onega lake they dig that part this is a man what do you say man-made yeah uh, in, re- in recent years, I think it was during the Soviet era that those channels were dug, okay? But uh, this would not have been a problem for our Viking ancestors. They probably, what they probably would have done if they had a long trek over land, they would have left their, uh, there were certain marshy areas uh, along this route that they would have had rafts. They would have floated on rafts as opposed to boats, okay? And so... Uh, as they established, Novgorod was a major trading point, uh, so they uh, would have established that the city of Novgorod and uh, the city of Moscow, the city of Kiev, and uh, all the major uh, trading centers along the Volga River. And then once they ha- had to uh, cross from the Volga to the Neva River, uh, which would lead down to Kiev and empty into the Gulf of Finland. They would have had. Uh, they would have gotten in uh, shallow boats again. Okay, so this yeah, is this, okay. Go back to you. Yeah, sorry, and this is also something that is known by uh, Odin. His, he, he was known to his. They almost described his his capacity to sail like he was flying. They had very uh, <laughs> right how he how he managed to get uh, get along with his with his boat. So that could also describe how they. Yeah, because they were almost uh, describing them as they just uh, put, took up the boats on the land and then they fold fold them together and put them on their backs, something like this. Right. So he was. Uh, so I don't know. That could also maybe describe his ability to sail. That. But uh, right. That is called what we call fording here in America. Uh, I don't know. And uh, the a lot of the uh, inland seas, I think, in Sweden and Norway and Finland are called fjords. Or is that the uh, inland uh, where the ocean comes into the valleys of the mountains up up into Sweden and Norway, etc.? Is that correct? What's a fjord? Yeah, the, the, the you're words? correct. It is the, where the ocean sea is coming inward toward uh, toward uh, land. And in Sweden, okay. we don't have so many fjords. Uh, the fjords are more at, at, uh, more into into Norway. Okay. In Sweden, we don't have so many of them. We have more. Um, el, what do you call it, Elvar, uh, something like this. So valleys, don't have the, yeah. But they are more flowing down toward. They have they have their low points in the sea instead. Right. Okay. So there's got to be a connection between fjord and ford, as we use it. And I have done this myself when I uh, many years ago, probably 20 years ago, I went uh, up into northern Canada in the summertime, where they have huge. Uh, lakes and uh, valleys and rivers and uh, parks where the only way you can traverse this area is by a canoe and so you take a canoe as far as you can and you hit hit a shore 
then you carry your canoe, uh, two guys uh, carrying canoe up over your head, <laughs> upside down, right, until you get to the next lake. So that's called fording from one lake to another. And that's the only way you can traverse this area. So uh, that's probably what the Israelites did to some extent, you know, crossing from one body of water to another. All right? That is not difficult to do, especially for strong, well, uh, well-fed Vikings and Israelites. Not a problem. Okay? Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. That's, I guess that is how they, well, as Sussex man is saying, they could also put them on, on wheels uh, to go between the rivers. So I believe that could also be the case. But you said, otherwise you have this with the canoe, you put them on your head. And, and uh, they probably do, they're probably very good at crafting those ships. They were weren't probably, yes. of course, they were heavy, but they were pretty strong as well. <laughs> right. Now, when it comes to moving goods, because these were trade routes, Moving goods is another matter, okay? So they probably had uh, had developed some sort of uh, roads. They would have had to develop roads uh, between uh, water bodies to uh, continue this trade, okay? So this is a very, very, very important point that this is, you know, our this is the way our people settled Europe, first by river, then by fjording. And then, uh, of course, uh, by sea as well, coming from the West Coast, first of all, landing in uh, you know, Spain, uh, Ireland, Britain, etc. Okay, so we can see that our people, and uh, obviously the Jews have no history of doing any of this. Okay. It's too much manual label. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> right. Okay, so... Uh, let's continue now with the history of L- Lithuania. We established the water routes by which our ancestors went from the Caucasus north to the Baltic. And this Caucasus-Baltic connection is extremely important in the history of our people because this is how we settled Europe. This is how we settled Europe. So the next item we're going to... <laughs> is it lawful... <laughs> It's unlawful to carry your boat on the Sabbath. I don't think the Vikings gave a damn about that, <laughs> right? <laughs> okay, so now we're going to study the history of Lithuania. And you know, uh, if, if you have this article up, Michael, why don't you read this? Because this is in your neck of the woods. Yeah, I'm looking what article we are looking at now. Okay. Is it the same article? Is it some something no. else now? Uh, okay, in the, in the chat area of your Skype page, there's mm-hmm. a hist- history of Lithuania, complete yet brief. Do you see that article? Yes, this one. History yeah. of Lithuania. Yes, yeah. this one. Go ahead and open that up. Oh, yeah. I'm, and then I'm uh, you, you read, I'll comment, okay? Okay. Uh, history of uh, Lith- Lithuania, introduction. First known habitation of Lith- Lithuania dates back to the final Ice Age. 10,000 BC, the hunter-gatherer were slowly replaced by farmers. And those farmers, I guess, were our ancestors. Yeah, some of them were, but not 10,000 BC because... No, the, <laughs> right? Okay, and uh, this is going to get into Swedish archaeology. Uh, I have a book here on that. I'll just uh, quote a couple of paragraphs, but please continue. Yes. The origin of the of the Baltic tribes in the area is disputed, but is uh, probably dates to 2,500 BC. 
um, these forefathers of Lithuania were outside the main migration routes, and those are among the oldest European ethnicities to have settled in approximately the current area. Okay, yeah. So, uh, so the Lithuanians, I think he's trying to say, are not the main body, uh, are outside the main body of the migration route, so they're pro- maybe not Israelites, but definitely related to the Israelites. Back to you. They're probably Scythians. Back to you. Yeah, could they have been uh, Japhethites? Could be, yes. Yeah. Um, these Baltic peoples tra- traded amber with Romans and then fought Vikings in an era only one small tribe from the area around Vilnius was known as Lithuanians, but it was the tribe that uh, consolidated the majority of other Baltic tribes. This process accelerated under King Min- Mindagos, Mindagos, who became a Christian and received a crown from the Pope in uh, 1253. After his death, the Grand Duchy of Lithuania fell back to pagan ways, leading to a centuries-long conflict with, with the, with the Teutonic Knights. Okay, so as I understand the amber trade route, again, this was from the Baltic to the uh, uh, north, uh, the Mediterranean, again to the area west of the Black Sea, including Italy. Okay. This uh, amber trade route was run by the Van people. The Van are definitely Japhetic. Okay? And that was up the Dnieper River going to Kiev in what is today known as uh, uh, Ukraine. Okay? So this was another route that our people might have taken, but this, this route was already established by the Japhethites, Japhethites. So it's quite likely that Lithuania was settled by Japhethites first. Okay, please continue. Mm -hmm. Okay, the eventual adoption of Christianity by Grand Duke um, Ugael in 1387 did not stop the Knights. Um, Lithuania forged a long-lasting alliance with Poland that eventually extinguished the um, Teutonic threat. Ruled by Grand Duke Vitautas. Oh. <laughs> okay. Isn't, isn't this Swedish? <laughs> no, having, this, is, no? this is more Baltic. Okay, this is Lithuanian, right? Yeah, to, yeah. Baltic and Polish, and I, I'm not that. <laughs> right. Now, here yeah, they're, using, they're using the word Teutonic, which could, uh, and certainly um, uh, the Vikings... Uh, could have uh, descended, you know, uh, the, the Teutons could have been part of the Viking nation. I suspect they are at Odin, you know, what's called the Teutonic Knights. Uh, but maybe the Teutonic Knights came a little bit later. Yeah, actually, this is probably the case. And these would have been the Germans, you know, coming from from the uh, area of the Tigris and Euphrates, being the last tribes to migrate from that area. Okay, back to you. Yeah, that was my thought, that the Teutonic Knights were the Germans. Yes. Okay. After Odin. Odin came much earlier. Okay, back to you. Yeah, it was much earlier. Yeah. Um, Lithuania became the largest state in Europe, uh, stretching from Baltic to the Black Sea in in the 15th century. 
Wow. Okay. Did you catch that, folks? Lithuania extended from the Black Sea to the Baltic in the 15th century. It was the largest kingdom in Europe, yet we hear absolutely nothing about Lithuania. Okay. Yeah, and my so my suspicion is that this is Lithuania and Poland together, I guess. This is the, the big um, uh, kingdom that they are referring to, maybe. And yeah. um, it also, as I said, it, this is, this is matter of fact, the Skitjan, that area, Black, the Black Sea up to the Baltic. That is the, that is the, that is Skitjan. Yes. Okay. Yes. And that is, uh, the, the Scythian nation would be a combination of Japheth and Israel. Okay. That's what the Scythian nation is. All right. So, uh, this, uh, this pretty much brings us up to modern history, but, uh, please continue because this is, uh, this is very good history and, uh, it, uh, takes us up to the existence of Russia. You know, maybe a couple more paragraphs here. Oh yeah. Okay. A new threat came from the East with uh, Moscow rapidly gaining power and conquering lands. Um, in response, Lithuania and Poland formed a Commonwealth in 1569. Okay, maybe here is the formation of it. Uh-huh. Mm. Initially, it was success- success- successful in um, deterring enemies. However, the political union led to gradual po- polarization of the Lith- Lithuanian nobility as Lithuanians uh, of the time regarded Polish culture to be superior. Okay, so here we see, again, this is Israelites, Scythians, and Japhethites fighting amongst themselves. <laughs> all right? That's what this is. But it's all, of course, Aryan, Hebrew, Aryan, Adamic culture, uh, uh, establishing nations in Europe. Okay, yeah, one more paragraph here. Okay. Um, by the 17th century, Poland, Lithuania was weakened due to the due to a unique yet hard to manage political system of noble uh, democracy, where a consensus was a per a prerequisite for any important decision. Um, the Commonwealth lost a series of wars that wiped out its great power position. In the late 18th century, that's between 1772 to 1795, uh, the country was completely uh, pardoned and uh, annexed by Prussia, Austria, and Russia, with the m- main Lithuanian lands falling under the Russian rule. Okay, of course the Russians are Vikings. Okay. Vikings, uh, descendants of Odin, coming down after they've built up their uh, nationhood in the Baltic area, and then they came back down the old trade routes that they came up from and uh, took over uh, the area that was primarily, again, uh, Japhetic, and the the Russian kingdom descended from Odin, uh, became the rulers, you know, again, that area of Moscow, Kiev, and uh, you know, what used to be Lithuania, and th- there's still a little bit of Lithuania left today. And these is, this is how our Israelite nations formed in Western Europe, okay? This is how our Israelite nations 
formed in Western Europe. Now I'm going to, because I want to address the question of how early Western Europe was inhabited. And this is from a book entitled The Pre-Pottery Stone Age of Eastern Middle Sweden by Stig Velinder. And on page 7, he states with regarding to the Stone Age archaeology of Sweden, the headline methods of research is not common in older Swedish archaeological literature. Perhaps Hollander's use of it is unique before 1940. In this chapter, he deals with the connection between the sea and human settlement in order to find one applicable to the Stone Age finds. In comparison to modern circumstances, he states that the Stone Age settlement was on the coast. This would have to, and we have talked about this, that Europe, post-Ice Age Europe, was a virtual wilderness because as the glaciers retreated from northern Europe up into the Arctic Circle, the you know it left, a, a, you know, there were probably no trees, there was probably nothing but um, rocks, rocks and dirt because uh, uh, the, uh, the glaciers would have destroyed everything in their path, right? So except very high up in the mountains there would have been trees. So uh, Northern Europe uh, and uh, to some extent Southern Europe was a virtual wilderness to which Yahweh sent our people. That's why there weren't any inhabitants in that area except for the coastlines. Okay, and this is what this article addresses. Okay, so he says, in comparison to modern circumstances, he states that the Stone Age settlement was on the coast. He divides the finds in simple, unmistakable groups. Flint axes, non-flint axes without shaft hole. So the, the, the axe head would usually have a hole bored into it for the handle. okay, And non-flint axes with shaft hole. The third group is said to be younger than the second because of its more functional way of shafting but the flint axes are left aside as their chrono- chronology is uncertain. Okay, so basic, their, their basic discovery tool, archaeological tool, is these axe heads and whatever implements surround the settlements along with the axe heads. Now on page 9, he says this, The paper of Salin, S-A-L-I-N, an author, on the prehistory of Upland, U-P-P-L-A-N-D, was important as Salin stated that Upland had no population before the Neolithic Stone Age, which means there was no population before the transition from Stone Age to farming. The oldest axes known to him were pointed, butted, and thin-butted axes datable to the period of the Dolmen. This is going to be very important. One of the questions put forward by the students of the Uppsala seminar was, which were the oldest finds in the Malar provinces, M-A, Umlaut, L-A-R provinces? How do you pronounce that, Michael? Uh, that's uh, Malaram. Uh, Malar. 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 Yeah. Malaram. Malaram. Okay. The chronology used for the Malar provinces during the province investigations was the following. Mesolithic Stone Age, this was before farming, uh, up to and including 10,000 B.C. to 5,000 B.C. The period of pecked axes, 
was 5,000 to 3,000 BC, so it's very obvious that Sweden was inhabited certainly from 5,000 BC to 3,000 BC. Okay? This was pre-migratory Israel. <laughs> okay? So who could have possibly inhabited this area? And they, were, they, they don't talk about the race of these people, but uh, we'll get into that shortly. They had to be Aryans. They absolutely had to be Aryans. Okay? Uh, so, and the period of dolmens was from 3000 to 2500 BC. That is a very brief area of, uh, or a brief time for a dolmen construction. So, what's going on here? Well, as we discussed last week, I think the major people, there's two possibilities in my mind of who could have inhabited Sweden, the coastline of Sweden, in such early dates. And number one, it could be Adamites who migrated before the Great Flood and uh, migrated as far west as Sweden. They also could be Atlanteans. Okay, your comment at this point, Michael. Yeah, I'm thinking now you you are referring to the areas is uh, Uppland, that is where you have a city called Uppsala, and it was in this place that Odin settled down when he when he finally uh, settled. It was in in this part that uh, Odin settled down, and then but here you're referring to dates that is three three thousand BC to five thousand BC. That is way before the yeah. <laughs> migration started. Yeah, so this, in my mind, it must be it must be the um, I guess uh, the um, Japhethite is the thing that comes to my mind, and then maybe also the uh, the one that were here those more, more Asiatic-looking uh, what do you say um, Samer uh, the Lapa, okay uh, Laplanders yeah that could be them as well but that yeah. that's that's way too south for them because they have their Rhine their uh, Rhines okay so I, I don't I can't I don't think it was them either. So it should be, um, but then I think about, uh, now maybe my days are, are, are completely off, but it wasn't also said that the Danites did leave, um, leave earlier than the rest of the tribes. They did leave in the time of Egypt. Yes. Okay, so uh, uh, the, the later uh, migrations of the Israelites are pretty uh, easily traceable, but the question here remains from all this archaeological work is who were the pre-Israelite inhabitants of Sweden, okay, of that whole area that the Vikings settled. And uh, certainly Japhetic settlements are obvious, the van, because they had been trading uh, on the amber trade routes probably for centuries before the Israelites migrated into the same area. But as I said, they probably migrated, the van probably migrated uh, up, I think it's the Dnieper River that goes to Kiev, and then points north from there, whereas our ancestors appeared to have, uh, going north to Viking land, taken the Don River, and then the Volga uh, to, up to Moscow, and then Traverse Land, and then other rivers south to the Gulf of Finland, or Gulf of Sweden, I forget what it's called. Okay, so, but, uh, so we can trace. Now, it's very important that these dolmens be understood and I just put in the chat room uh, this article, a map showing the, the distribution of the dolmens, which is confined to pretty much a 500-year period. 
and I'll, I'll uh, give you this link also in the uh, chat section of our Skype chat here. And uh, it reads as follows. Maps showing the distribution of dolmens and related megaliths. Note the progression from the A land of, I don't know what the A means, the land of Israel, I'll just ignore it, the land of Israel outwards and especially westwards and to the north. And you'll see that the dolmen distribution, according to this map, is starts in the Middle East. In fact, uh, these islands uh, not far from Spain, it shows the western Spain is loaded with dolmens. The mountains between France and Spain are also loaded with dolmens. Uh, Ireland and Britain, the eastern coast of Ireland, western coast of Britain, loaded with dolmens. And Jutland and northern Europe and southern, uh, southwestern Sweden also loaded with dolmens. What are dolmens? Okay. Yes, this this rising of the stones as in there's raising up stones on this in these formations. Yes, these are Israelite formations, folks. Jeremiah thirty one twenty one refers to dolmens, which are large stones set table fashion over others, and often covered by large piles of rocks and stone. The dolmens and other related stone monuments form a connecting link between Israel, Britain. West France and Scandinavia. More dolmens, over 5,000, have been found in Denmark than in any other country. On the other hand, the oldest dolmens are believed to be those of Israel. More than 20,000 megalithic monuments of all types, including dolmens, have been found in the land of Israel, especially on the eastern Jordanian side, since for various reasons those on the west were destroyed by local inhabitants. The verse, in, in effect, links dolmens with Ephraim, quoting Jeremiah 31, 21. Set thee up waymarks, make thee high heaps, set thine heart toward the highway, even the way which thou wentest. Turn again, O virgin of Israel, turn again to these thy cities. Hoffman, Olam Ha-Tanach, uh, the prophet calls upon the exiles to indicate with special signs their pathway into exile in order that they may quickly return to the land by the path they went in. This method of marking a pathway is practiced unto this day. How would they know to find their way in biblical times? How would they describe the way of journey or the borderline? It appears that in biblical times it was accepted practice to make note of prominent features. So this is how our ancestors, they set up these dolmens to find their way back and forth. Okay, they set up line maps. So this is by Jeremiah. So this is the period, that 500-year period we're talking about. Now, obviously, the Jewish people never set up any dolmens. Okay, this is more proof that Europe was settled by the ten northern tribes. Absolute proof. Okay? So uh, thanks to all of this website, Brit Am is by a Jew. He does, he does talk a lot about the ten northern tribes and their migrations as apart from the Jews. Okay, The word Tamrurim was used by Jeremiah, translated here as high heaps. In modern Hebrew is the word for 
a traffic sign, <laughs> or a wayfare indicator. Waymarks, as noted, equal dolmens. The verse, Jeremiah 31.12, may therefore in the Hebrew be understood further as saying, quote, Establish waymarks for yourself, set up for yourself high heaps, also known as cairns, in Ireland and Scotland. Tamrurim wayfare markers, put your heart to the pathways you went by and return, O virgin of Israel, come back to these cities of yours. So, the back and forth traffic of the Israelites, and of course that includes what we talked about last week, the uh, under Jeremiah, I'm sorry, under uh, Joseph of Arimathea in Cornwall in Britain, they, they set up these waymarks to find their way around. And so for other Israelites who... Uh, were come lately to find their way around as well. Okay, so we can see that Western Europe had a high traffic of Israelites going back and forth, up and down, north and south, east and west, over, under, sideways, down, and uh, this this history of our people is utterly ignored. Okay, so uh, yeah and it's um yeah sort of interrupting it's interesting to see how those dolmens are placed they're they are placed mainly around i mean france is full of them as you said also spain is on the west coast is full of them same with um, britain and also ireland and uh, then germany is like a black uh, that is you have some in the north but otherwise it's pretty it's none and then you have up in denmark and in in uh, in south of Sweden, I see them. Yes. Okay. But uh, Central Europe, you know, what we call Germany today, uh, was uh, inhabited later by the Germanic, the Gothic migrations, okay, which didn't begin till much later. Probably didn't begin until around 300 AD. Maybe you know, it was from 300 BC to 300 AD is when the Germanic migrations uh, started. Okay, so so they didn't do the dolmen uh, breaking making. That was done by the earlier migrants, much earlier. Okay. Um, so, a question: could, uh-huh. um, could it be that you have the dolmens on the, on the coast of Spain, France, and on the then on the west coast? Is that because the migration came that way? They came out uh, outside of the Spanish coast, and then they yes. Uh, that's one of the ways they came. Yeah, that that migration was by sea. That's why you have more uh, dolmens on the west coast of Spain, the south and west, and then uh, you know, going up to Britain and Ireland. Okay, because those migrations were primarily by sea. So th- this is what we know of our migratory history. It's it's confirmed by the evidence of the dolmens, folks. Okay, the Jews never created a dolmen. <laughs> Absolutely never. Okay. There's more proof that the Christian identity message is absolutely 100% correct. We know who we are. We are the Israelites of the Bible, and all of this migratory evidence proves it. Okay? Okay, I have one more link I want to share with everybody here. And this is about the Basques. Because the Basques have a tradition that they are descended from Atlantis. Okay, and here, Basques, survivors of Atlantis, this is by Atlantean Gardens, ancient bloodlines and antediluvian civilizations. 
Nestled in the mountains between France and Spain, there is a semi-isolated population of native European people that have long puzzled anthropologists, linguists, and historians because although they are Caucasoid, they are Caucasians, they are Aryans, they do not fit in with the rest of European populations. And uh, Robert Seffer has produced a video showing, uh, you can see that these people are primarily blonde and redhead people. Okay, Nestled in the mountains between France and Spain, and uh, what we see is that they have a particular Rh negative DNA, which is not uh, not common among the rest of the European people. Okay, chances are that their tradition that they are descendants of Atlantis is probably correct, which uh, corresponds to the Cro-Magnon that I have talked about in other articles. So, no one knows exactly where the Basque come from. Some say they have lived in the area since Cro-Magnon man first came from Europe. Okay, One is that the Basques are the descendants of the survivors of Atlantis. Question whether Basque language come from just as no one is sure about the origins of the Basques themselves. Okay, Their language is very unique. Now, there's a connection to the Berbers here. Scrolling down, pre-European ancestry, there's another ancient people who claim racial lineage from the mythical Atlanteans, the Berbers. The Berbers are also Caucasoid. Okay, so it's quite possible that our Hamitic ancestors migrating west from Egypt encountered the Atlantean Berbers and their, their civilizations merged together. It's still called Berber, but their language is, uh, what do they call it, uh, well, Celtiberian, Gaelic. Their language is similar to Gaelic. So probably Gaelic is a combination of whatever language the Berbers spoke and Hamito-Semitic Hebrew. Okay, And uh, as we know, the Welsh speak almost 100% Hebrew. But Gaelic is probably a combination of whatever uh, language is spoken by the Basques and Berbers and uh, Hebrew. Okay, That's the best uh, solution I can offer to who settled the eastern coast of Sweden pre, uh, around 5000 BC. It had to be either uh, Adam- Adamites who had migrated west from uh, the Mesopotamia area before the flood. Or they're Atlanteans. Okay, at this point, your comment as to uh, what's going on here. Yes, interesting. Yeah, they could. That could be yeah, because I've they those. I don't know what they're the Basque Basker. Yeah, they have always been uh, different than the than the other um, Europeans, and they yes. have have a, a different uh, a different language as well. Yes. Okay. So this is, uh, I think, uh, this establishes how in the world could Sweden have been inhabited by Aryans that far back, because all the archaeological evidence proves that they were there. All right. And uh, I think your speculation is correct. It was it was not uh, Eskimos or whatever you call Eskimos in your <laughs> part of the world. Okay. On uh, Okay. So uh, the the, the this, uh, Okay, so they probably, when Atlantis sank, these are the survivors of Atlantis who, you know, Spain would have been the, the closest area. And they probably went to the mountains because the uh, 
the flooding, the tidal waves, would have uh, devastated much of the lowlands of Spain. So they wound up in that mountainous area between uh, France and Spain that uh, the Basques still inhabit to this very day. Okay? All right, so now let's get back to our, our topic here of uh, where in the world, how in the world did our ancestors, the Israelites, come to inhabit northern Europe? You know, and uh, we're, we're basically trying to trace the origin of the Israelite origin of the people of Scandinavia. Okay, that's what we're trying to do here. And uh, so let's, uh, let me get back into our uh, shared uh, okay, well, we, we talked about what was the main... Oh, I don't think we t- discussed it. This, what was the main Viking sailing route? Okay. No, I don't think we have done... Did we do that? No, we didn't. Okay. So let me put this in the chat room. And this should complete our study of the geology, archaeology, and history of Western Europe uh, into which our ancestors went. Okay. So, uh, if, uh, have you got that? It's, it's from Quora. It's, it's a fairly brief. Yeah, I have it. Yeah, okay. Why don't you take it uh, from the top there? Okay. Uh, what was the main Viking sailing route from the Baltic to the Black Sea? Since there is no direct uh, river connection, how did they originally find their way? How did they know it was worth hauling their ships uh, from one river to another on land. This is a question that this author is yeah. then asked. And then uh, there's a, a the answer by Pablo Jankowitz Ruzinowitz, <laughs> who, who so, sounds to me he's like a a, a Basque Polish Russian. <laughs> and if you click on continue reading, it'll give his detailed answer. Yes. So. Um, Let's go in now. Now we have a map also with different numbers yeah. and then routes that is identified here. Um, so we see a map with routes. Uh, so they said that the numbers indicate cities that grow uh, grew around the Viking trading routes connecting the Black, the Baltic Sea to the Black Sea. To give you a better notion of what is going on here, the following number are particular ancient cities and trading posts that existed when the Viking were uh, playing their trade routes. So then they said that uh, number 24 is, is Kiev, and that is one of the, and that one we can find, yeah. let's see, and that is pretty long down south right. in the picture, is at and, the bottom, right. is and, Kiev. In Ukraine, and so every one of these cities began as a Viking trading post, is what he's saying, okay? Yeah. Back to you. And then we have uh, Minsk, number 20, and that's a bit further north up. But that, that is not connected really to this Viking road. So this comes more from uh, from the Baltic, I would say. That's how they got to Minsk. Okay. Trading roads. I don't know if you, if you look at the map, and I don't know if that's... Uh, mm. yeah, the map shows rivers, although that's not very clear. So 20 is Minsk. Yeah, yeah that's uh, the river. Minsk is connected to the Baltic. It's not connected to the Black Sea. Okay. Yes. And then... But, but it's not... Uh, sorry, excuse me. It's not all that far from uh, Kiev, because there's a river that goes from Kiev to the north towards Smolensk. 
and it's not that far from Minsk to that river at all. Maybe a couple of hundred miles. Back to you. Yeah, so you're supposing here they they, fl- they fold together their, their boats and they take a walk, or they right. just um, or they probably just made new boats. Maybe depends yeah. on their their purpose with the travel, I guess. Right, or they hacked out uh, you know a path through the forest. Well, you know, uh, who knows? You know, but uh, yeah. our, our people were very resourceful. <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Then we have as you said now number twenty three. That is Smolensk, and that is yeah way up. That is to the uh, to the right from uh, Minsk, that's where we find Smolensk. Yeah, further north, okay. But we're getting closer and closer to the Baltic from the Black Sea, okay? Yes, and then number 18 is Riga, and that is at the Baltic Sea. That is uh, uh-huh. present-day uh, Let- Letland. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, I guess Latvia is the English word for it. Very good. That's main capital. Um, then number four is Moscow, and that is located on the further to the right in the in the in the pictures. And number four, that is where Moscow is. Yes, and Moscow basically is uh, how should we call it? It's fairly landlocked, but there's land uh, land routes from one river to another that the Vikings could have taken from Moscow to points north and south. Yes, yeah, they are land, landlocked. That is a good mm. how to describe it. It's, they doesn't have so much sea. They have the rivers. That's what they have. Right. And then we have uh, number twelve, um, Psyokov. Okay. And that's that. We can then locate. It is up in pretty close to um, Estonia. It is on the south. Uh, uh, south um, east of Estonian border, south uh, east of the Estonian border, I would say. Or if this in is in Estonia, I'm a bit uh, puzzled if this is the if that's the where the border is with Estonia here. Right. Uh, so that is. So so that, yeah. Okay, that leaves one major city. Yeah, and then you see probably that they will connect to this those seas that they then connect. They probably uh, take the sea road through those smaller seas, and then they come up to number thirteen, and that will lead them to the uh, the, the Finnish Gulf. Right, and so the the last uh, city that he mentions in numbers here is Novgorod, which is between uh, Moscow and the Baltic. Okay, connecting it's going straight north um, from. Uh, What's 16? Does he talk about 16? To, uh, straight north from Smolensk, okay, but not connected by a river. And so there's a couple of lakes that uh, that uh, are up north, and uh, you can get there fr- uh, from Novgorod to Kiev. Okay. So chances are your ancestors, Michael, took this route, and you you are probably a direct ancestor of Odin. Yeah, that's uh, that's uh, probably the the case. <laughs> okay, All right, and so this is how Odin got there, <laughs> got to Sweden. Okay, yeah. All right, okay. But his, but when we have read, uh, I don't think if when we read it, he said, yeah, uh, Odin did did go through. I think they call it Gardarike. That is the the what they say the more uh, the modern name for Gardarike is Russia, uh-huh. and then there he placed it. Uh, 
a king on the throne. I guess if that was in Moscow where it was, I'm a bit puzzled where that was. But then he took the southern route. He did go through Germany. Okay. So he didn't take this road. He did go then to Germany, to um, Sax, uh, Saxony, to, yeah. Sa- to Westphalia, I think it's called. Right. Yeah, northern Germany. Yeah. Okay. Northern Germany. Then he went up to Denmark. So his road, he did, did go through here, but he did then leave to the west. This was this, you have also described this, uh, this um, what do you say, this, um, div- not division, but the divide. One go to the, to the, to the to toward Germany, some other goes up to the north. Yeah. So we have, so that's here, um, somewhere here that happened. Yes. Okay. So, but the essence of the story is that the Odinites went north, and uh, what was the original name of uh, da- the Danish peninsula? It was called yeah. Jutland. Judah. Yes. Named after Jutland. Judah. Yeah, Jutland. Okay. So we, we see that our ancestors, including all 12 tribes, the Judahite tribes, because Odin was a Judahite, and because the, um, you know, the 10, 10 northern tribes uh, had a habit of selecting, if possible, Judahite kings to rule over them, because that's biblical, right? Uh, so that's why Odin was the leader of the Viking tribes, whatever, and probably Danites, Asherites, you name it, Okay. And virtually every Israelite tribe had a tradition of being seafaring tribes, with the possible exception of uh, what was the uh, tribe that lived within Judah? Uh, they they didn't they didn't border on the ocean. I forget. Uh, ben, ben, not Benjamin or no no Benjamin had uh, a, a lot of sea yeah. the, the sea wolves. Was it the um, uh, was it the, the Finland the Finnish people the Ishakar? It might have been. Uh, I'm trying to. I'll, I'll. I'll look. I'll try to search that out as we continue this show. But okay. uh, but this is the the history of our migration, our migratory routes, uh, and there's no doubt uh, the dolmens are proof that we, uh, uh, you know, were those people. And so it's, uh, so what the other the why wasn't the Vistula Dnieper route to the Black Sea used more by the Vikings during the Viking ages? Uh, well, apparently they they chose the Volga route to maybe because there was more uh, trade to be had with Eastern peoples. I don't know. It was probably determined by their you know uh, trading policies. Okay, but please continue. There are two more paragraphs on this site. Mm-hmm. Uh, when the Vikings were at their peak, two cities grew rich off the trade and uh, became powerful as a result. Kiev to the far south, and uh, uh, Novgorod uh, to the far north. Hence, one would come to the conclusion uh, that the river routes that connect these two cities, the uh, quickest and most efficient, was uh, the most heavily utilized trading route that the Vikings used for their ships. Okay, so Novgorod and Kiev, which uh, is on the uh, Finnish Gulf, okay, uh, were well connected by the Vikings using the, the rivers and the, there's a couple of big lakes there as well that uh, are between Novgorod and Kiev. Very obviously uh, the easiest route that they could possibly have taken. Back to you. Yes. So then using the Novgorod-Kiev uh, route, the enterprising Viking tr- uh, trader would, um, uh, would have had to go up the river Neva 
where 11 is, then sail, and then 11 on the map is then in the, uh, let's see, yeah, that's further up, that is where St. Petersburg is. Okay, St. Petersburg, okay, all right. That is St. Petersburg. Um, And then sail, Lake Ladogoga for a bit, and then go up the Volkov River to Novgorod at 9. Mm-hmm. They continue down the river to eight, and then uh, eight is then yeah that is in the middle of this of this map I would say a bit above number sixteen. Right. Okay. And what that place is it doesn't tell, but that's number eight. Right. Then at eight, uh, traverse the swamps, marshes, and little lakes, uh, which were probably navigable on flat barges during the summer, and easily. Tra- um, traversed in winter because these marshes would freeze over and become ice. To connect at 23, and 23, yeah, that is a bit south of it, of those points, and that is Smolensk. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, and from 23, go down to uh, Dnieper River to Kiev at 24, at hence the Black Sea. Okay, so the Dnieper River and Kiev, uh, and they connect to the Black Sea farther west, and the Don and Volga connect to the Black Sea via the Sea of Azov farther to the east. Okay, so our ancestors would have taken all of these routes to get to the Baltic. All right, so, and we can see that this is not a difficult path to take, especially given the seafaring, boat-building knowledge of our ancestors. Okay? So, the Jews have never had any such ability. (laughs) Okay? So, so I think now we can get back to where we we left off last time, and uh, that would be the Norse-Israelite origins by Mikkel. Okay, and uh, I don't remember where we left off, but um, I, yeah, I do. I remember. I have done a mark here. Okay, all right. So let's pick it up, and I'll uh, put this link in the chat room for people to follow yeah. along. And the heading where we will start up is Aser and Vaner of the Norse lands, Aser and Dan of the Bible. Hmm. Um, so, uh, you want me to start reading? Or? Yes, yeah, please. Okay. Those, we can trace Aser and Vaner to Azerbaijan in Turkland, just who were placed exactly at this place, and at this time, were none other than two of the most important tribes of the Bible, Aser and Dan. Uh-huh. And Aser and Dan were two of the so-called lost ten tribes of Israel, originally, Israel consisted of 12 tribes, of which none were Jews. Oh, that's that correct. That's correct. They yeah. were Judaized, but not Jews. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Uh, up to the year 1721 BC, uh, 10 of the 12 tribes of Israel were deported out of Canaan, uh, whereas others wandered to the north of their own. Yeah, here we see that those 3,000 BC to 5,000 BC can't be our, those Israelites, right. so it was way before. Yeah, and I think we're correct in uh, asserting that uh, those inhabitants of Sweden were either Adamites that migrated to west from Mesopotamia before the flood, okay, 
or, or Atlanteans or some combination of both. Back to you. Yeah, that that feels uh, yeah that feels as the best best bet. What to say? Yes. Mm, okay, the three most northern tribes of Israel were Dan, Asher, and Naphtali. Naphtali, of which Dan was the leader, leader tribe. Dan of the Bible became the Vaner under Odin. Uh, the Russian river Dnieper is called by Snorre, both uh, Vana uh, Kvistel and uh, Tana Kvistel. In 500 AD, Jordans called it uh, Danapir, and today its name is Dnieper in Russia. Okay. On the minor uh, Yellowstone, Denmark is spelled uh, Tan Markar with a T. Okay, Tan Marka. Okay. Oh, Tan. Okay, so Denmark originally was called Tanmark with a T. Interesting. Yeah. So the Dnieper again. This is all Russian territory. The Volga is further east, and the Dnieper is further west. But this is where our ancestors migrated up toward the Baltic. Back to you. Yes. Okay. So here we have the Donner, Vaner, Ok. Toner, pretty similar names, I would say. Yep. They are named the same. This spelling there, uh, Ton Marka, Markar with a T. Yeah, there we have it. Very close to Dan, very close to Denmark, I would yeah. say. Right, Denmark. Yeah. 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 No, not uh, possible. <laughs> can't be true. <laughs> All right. Tribe um, of Dan. Yes. So here we have three different. Uh, pronunciations of the one and the same tribe the tribe of dan yeah he confirms confirms it here yes <laughs> um, outstanding yes so the two biblical tribes uh, asher and naphtali i believe melt together into the nordic author uh, today the dna of the norwegians and the swedes are completely identical the dna of the danes is as close to them as you can get, but it still varies just a little. Okay, so so the we've been talking about the origin of the word Aser or Acer, as the pagan tribes have retained it. Okay, as uh, being a reference to Azerbaijan, but it's quite possible that Azerbaijan was the territory of the tribe of Asher. Okay. Yeah, that comes to my mind when you see the spelling of, of that of that of that name. It's mm-hmm. very very close to Aser. Right. Okay. So there's no doubt that the uh, th- these territories were named after the various tri- tribes of Israel. Back to you. Yeah, and then the question is, what is the how the name? Or what do you say, Aser? Then they have Begoyan. Uh, Begoyan. Uh, I don't know. If that if that is some some have some meaning also then it makes maybe more sense. But yeah, this very have they, we put our names on on the yes. places we are at. That is that is Israelite tradition. Now I would also say that there must be dolmens along these land routes as well. Okay, because this is uh, fairly early on in our history. Although uh, what was the uh, uh, time period of the dolmens? Twenty five hundred. BC to, I forget now what it was. So yeah, I have yeah so this is uh, this may may not be uh, part of the land migration, but uh, there may have done some uh, dolmen uh, raising along these land land routes. 
Okay. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll bet that there are some. Okay, back to you. Okay. Uh, the three most northern tribes of Israel today are Denmark, Dan, Sweden, Aser, and Norway, Naphtali, from Canaan. They wandered to Asia Minor, and under their chief, Odin, they, at a later date, wandered to the north. Um, there was also an important connection to Greece and Troy, but that I will mention later. Mm-hmm. Uh, before I tell of the three most northern tribes of Israel, I must emphasize that none of them were Jews. <laughs> Very good. His identity. All right. <laughs> I like it. Um, today, most repeat without thinking it over that the Bible is the book of the Jews. This is not true. The Bible is not the book of the Jews. No matter how often this lie is repeated, um, the Bible is not about the Jews. Uh, to this, uh, the Christian, uh, Palestinian, ex-Jew, and uh, dissident is- Israel, um, Shamir, answer uh, an anti-Christian Jew. Mm-hmm. Okay. What is he saying here then? Um, the Jews are not even men- mentioned in the Jewish Bible. Get that book off your shelf and <laughs> check it. All right. Shock it? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Um, None of the great and uh, legendary men you name, from King David to the prophets, were called the Jews. This um, um, ethnonym appears uh, for the first and only times in the Bible in the Persian story of the very late book of of Esther. Okay. Well, again, the word Jew, even in the book of Esther, does not belong there. Those were Judahites. And the book of Esther says very clearly that she and uh, her uncle, who uh, was her uh, protector, uh, were of the tribe of Benjamin. Okay. So they were not Jews. They were they were Israelites of the tribe of Benjamin. The, and Benjamin always traveled with uh, Judah. Okay, so that's to be expected. Back to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, let's continue. This was a quote from Israel uh, Shamir, um, Galley Flowers. Okay. okay. Um, the Jews of today only trace their lineage to Judah. Wrong. Yeah, they, they, they pretend to, yes. Yeah. <laughs> they pretend to. Um, one of the 12 tribes of Israel. No. <laughs> um, yeah. How it may have ended entered the common assumption that the Jews should um, hail from more than one of the the 12 tribes of Israel is uncertain. But one of the leading American rabbis, uh, I don't know, um, Shmuley Shmuley Botich. (laughs) (laughs) Easy easy for me to say. (laughs) All right. Can tell us in his bestseller about Judaism that an Israelite is someone who is uh, descendants of Jacob. Yeah, that's true. Yep. Uh, that that the, excludes the Jews. <laughs> right? Because they're from Esau. Yeah, back to you. Yeah. After the dispersion of the ten tribes, the Israelites were re- referred to as Jews. No. <laughs> yeah, by them, uh, but not exactly by anybody by else, right? But not by anybody else. Mm-hmm. Uh, because the reminder of the Jewish nation, those who today form the bulk of the Jewish people, 
old stem from the tribe of Judah. No. Yeah, that's absolutely false. We've been proving here that uh, all of the Israelites migrated north and became known as Europeans. Okay. And uh, there are Jews who will, who will admit that. But in order for them to maintain the posture that only the only Israelites left in the world today are Jews, they have to pretend that uh, the history we're covering today never happened. Okay, back to you. Okay, yeah, that's what they need. They need to, I don't know, give it the silent treatment, I guess. Right. Um, okay. Um, ethnic names which are outright wrong can become so deep-rooted in language and mindset of people that they are hard to correct once again, even though everyone, if they consider it for themselves, know very well that it is an outright false label. When Columbus arrived to America in 1492 AD, he believed that it was the shores of India, and that the local tribes were Indians. Yes. Therefore, the local tribes of America were called Indians. It took a very short while before the um, Spaniards became aware that it was America. (laughs) Right, right, exactly. All right, uh, a couple of comments in the chat room here. Nimble Horse, uh, quoting our disagreement, or commenting on our disagreement with uh, Rabbi Botich. Quote, Jews began in the 19th century to call themselves Hebrews and Israelites in 1860. So it was, uh, Jews simply called themselves Jews for, since they were, from the day they were expelled from Palestine by the Romans, who were actually Israelites of Zerah This coincides with the cry anti-Semitism, <laughs> unquote. Uh, Encyclopedia Judaica, 1971, volume 10, page 23 or paragraph 23, I'm not sure. And then Brother Abair says, but aren't they supposed to be numbered as the stars and sand of the seashore? Yeah, the Israelites, but not the Jews. Back to you. <laughs> no, they're the, they're one of the smallest nations, that That's, little nation. Yes, that crummy little nation in the Middle East, right? <laughs> All right. Okay. okay. Um, it took a very uh, short while before... Ah, okay, I read that. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, but the name Indian stood by, yeah. When we read the Gospels about the Lord Jesus, they are about Jews, uh, no? <laughs> of the tribe yeah. of Judah. Yeah, he still makes the mistake of equating Jews with the tribe of Judah, Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. Back to you, yeah. Yeah, because none of them were of the t- ten tribes of Israel. These ten tribes had been far, far away from the land of Canaan for more than 700 years when Jesus was born in Bethlehem. That is correct. And they still exist. We still exist. We yeah, haven't, yeah. We haven't uh, inter, inter, inter-mongrelized with all the other peoples yet. <laughs> that didn't actually start until the 1960s. Back to you. Yeah, we're hanging on. Mm-hmm. We're hanging on by a thread. Yep. DNA thread. I will now begin to tell of the so-called Lost Ten Tribes of Israel. But keep a focus on the three most northern tribes, Dan, Asher, and Naphtali. All right. The ten lost tribes. You want to continue? Yes. And the ten lost tribes of Israel. The Bible is a family uh, chronicle of the 
the 12 tribes of Israel, the Israelites. Two of the forefathers of the Israelites were Shem and Eber. And therefore, the Israelites are also Semites and Hebrews as well. The grandson of Abraham, namely Jacob, was given the name Israel by God himself. And this is a quote from Genesis 32:28. And he said, Thy name shall be, be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince has due power with God and with men and has prevailed. Yes, that was his fighting with that angel that he was fighting against. Right, right. Uh, actually, yeah, struggling with, and uh, Pastor Martins and I did a, a brief discussion of that verse last Sunday on Voice of Christian Israel, where we concluded that uh, essentially what happened was Jacob would not release the, the angel unless he would be blessed by the angel. And that was the major part of the struggle. And uh, it wasn't as much as they were fighting against each other as, as Jacob was not letting go of the angel until he received the blessing. Okay, that was the primary intention that Jacob had there. And he finally did get the blessing. And he was later blessed by Yahweh himself in another passage. Okay, back to you. And maybe this yeah. is the one. Yeah, okay. Okay, Jacob is therefore the first Israelite and the forefather of all Israelites. Jacob Israel begot 12 sons, uh, the forefathers of the 12 tribes of Israel, the Israelites. One of the 12 sons were called Dan, today the Danes. One was called Aser, today the Swedes. One was called Naphtali, today the Norwegians. By skipping the re remainder, one was called Judah, the forefather of the Judahites. Uh, that is correct. That's right. That is <laughs> I, I don't know where, where he he does he does he do he does stumble upon his uh, uh, upon himself. <laughs> well, he believes that lie in 1860 that the Jews <laughs> from henceforth called themselves Israelites, right? Which they didn't used to do. Okay, back to you. Shortly before 500 BC, those of the Judahites were in captivity in Babylon were suddenly called Jews. Uh, no, yeah. they weren't. Yeah, that, well, what he, he's repeating your, your basic Judeo-Christian theology and usage of terms, which ignores the fact that the Judahites were not uh, Edomite Jews, they were not Canaanites, and that the Jewish people are in fact Edomites, not Judahites. Okay? This is what Christian identity uh, corrects scholarship about. Okay, back to you. Yes. Um, in the back of uh, 1992, translation of the uh, Danish Bible, as published by the Danish Bible Society, we read under the article, Judah, Judah, the word Jew is derived from Judah. Ah, that's a uh, lie. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's actually derived from the word Judeos, which means Judean, okay, which is a territorial term, not a tribal term. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, after having been uh, the thralls uh, of Pharaoh in Egypt, uh, the app three million, is it million? Yeah, million. Uh, no. yeah, three. million yeah. Israelites. Yeah, yeah, the approximate, yeah, approximately three million Israelites, yeah. Yeah, Israelites, men, women, and children crossed the, uh, cross the divided Red Sea and, and reach Mount Sinai, where they are given uh, the law of Moses. This is the most important event in the history of, of Israel because the Bible refers to it as uh, a wedding between God 
the uh, bridegroom and Israel, the bride. This, uh, this um, description of the relationship between God and the 12 tribes of Israel as man and wife is used all the way through the Bible, right from the book of Exodus on to the last book of the Bible, the revelation of St. John. The Israelites conquer uh, the promised land of Canaan and drives out the Canaanites and lives after the law of God. Okay, so do you think the Jewish people are part of the bride? No. Uh-huh. Not, not possible. <laughs> okay, so uh, the tribe I was trying to think of was Simeon. The, the tribe of Simeon was totally, although the map that he shows here in this um, article shows Simeon bordering the Mediterranean in a, a small area. But uh, the original tribe of Simeon was totally encased within the tribe of Judah. Back to you. Yeah, and here we see that Simeon lives within the border of of uh, Judah. I guess that right. was also the one of the this that when we discuss Germany, that is also what is done today. Yes. Okay. Let's continue then. Um, Israel is now the people of God's property uh, or the people of God's estate. But this also bears with it a great responsibility. If Israel follows the law of God and worship him, God blesses them and blesses other people through Israel. If Israel, uh, to the contrary, breaks the law and break the, breaks the law of God and worship other gods, uh, God will chasten and curse Israel until Israel re- repents. Uh, do you yeah. think that's happening today? <laughs> uh, West Coast, all those communist white people who are actually Israelites but have become uh, so uh, materialistic, either as uh, capitalists or communists, that they're no earthly good? Maybe that's why the West Coast is being judged right now. Back to you. Yeah, that could be, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, after King David, a man according to the heart of, of the Lord, uh, follows King Solomon. Solomon is the wisest man on earth, but because he marries alien women, God punished all of Israel, and ten of the tribes revolts. Israel is now split into two kingdoms. The ten tribes in the northern kingdom, called the house of Israel, or simply Israel. And the yeah. 12 tribes of the southern kingdom, the house of Judah, or simply Judah. I, I skipped that, that next verse, that next paragraph. Okay. He say, and later Jews, no. No, no. Is it possible that the Jews could be a uh, ethnically pure tribe of Israel? Is it Isn't possible? Possible. No, that's not possible. Okay. Mm. They're, they're the most race-mixed group of people on the earth. There's no way they can be a tribe of Israel. No way. Back to you. Exactly. Okay, now we have the 12 tribes of Israel in Canaan. Okay. From this point on, um, the 10 tribes of Israel and the 2 tribes of Judah have, se- have separate kings, separate prophets. They have each of their own history and are often at war against each other. The 10 northern tribes are, however, more sinful than the 2 tribes of the south. Uh, so finally, God punished the te- ten tribes by letting the mighty Assyrian Empire invade the northern kingdom of the ten tribes. And the Assyrians deports all the Israelites of the ten tribes out of the land of Canaan in the year 721, uh, 70, yeah. 
721 BC. Actually, uh, it was earlier, 745 BC. The half tribe of Manasseh was taken captive by Assyria in that year, 745 BC. Back to you. Yeah, then it started. Yeah. Let's see. And it took maybe 20, what, 23 years for all the other tribes to be included. Maybe that's the point he's trying to make here. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, at this event, God annuls his marriage with the ten tribes of Israel because those idols whom they worshipped, such as Baal and Molech, were the lovers in Israel's um, mar- mar- mat- matrimonial adultery. Amen. Uh, that's true. Yeah. Yep. We we God, had other lovers. Those are the other lovers talked about by all the prophets in the Old Testament. Yep. Yes. So God's marriage with the two tribes of Judah in the south, however, st- stays intact, and Judah continue being the people of God. The Germans. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I couldn't control myself. <laughs> All right. You shouldn't, you shouldn't boast about yourself. Yeah, right. <laughs> I need to be more humble. <laughs> Let's continue. And she conceived again and bare a daughter. And God said unto him, Call her name um, Loruham. Uh, I don't know if I pronounced that correctly. Loruhama, which means I am not, I forget what it means. Back to you. (laughs) I can't remember. (laughs) For I will no more have mercy upon the house of Israel, but I will utterly take them away. But I will have mercy upon the house of Judah, and will save them by the Lord their God, and will not save them by bow, nor by sword, nor by battle, by horse, nor by horsemen. And that is from not uh, my people. Not my people is what it means. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. It's an important meaning. Okay. Okay. Yeah. This is from Hosea one six until seven. Okay. Okay. And concerning God's divorce from the ten tribes of Israel, the prophet Jeremiah uh, specifically uh, specific, uses the word "bill of divorce" as pertaining to the broken marriage. And I said, after she had done all these things, turn thou unto me, but she returned not, and her treacherous sister Judah saw it, and I saw when for all the causes whereby backsliding Israel committed adultery, I had put her away and given her a bill of divorce. Yet her um, treacherous sister Judah feared not, but went and played the harlot also. Yes, so both both houses uh, were playing the harlot, but uh, the ten northern tribes were much much better at it. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. Uh, the two sisters of Israel are Israel and Judah, who both play the harlot, i.e., worship idols such as Baal, and are not faithful to their husband, the Lord. Um, the actual deportation of the ten tribes finally occurs in the year 7021 BC, uh, where the Assyrians forcefully. Uh, relocate them to areas south of the Caucasus Mountains. The Old Testament describes it as follows. Then the king of Assyria came up um, throughout all the land and went up to Samaria and besieged it uh, three years in the ninth year of Hosea. And Hosea 
the king of Assyria took Samaria and uh, carried Israel away um, into Assyria and placed them in uh, Hala and in Habod by the river of Gosan and in the cities of the Medes. This is from Second Kings 17, 15 until 6. Yeah, 5 until 6. Um, let's see. Therefore, the Lord was oh, very yeah, angry. Four with minutes Israel. left, sorry. <laughs> Wasn't paying okay. attention to the clock. Okay. And removed them out of his sight. There was none left but the tribe of Judah only. That's from Second Kings seventeen eighteen. Yes. Okay. Okay. Uh, besides the Bible itself, the most time-honored historians of on ancient Israel is the Roman. Okay, Jew Flavius Josephus. Judahite. Yeah, it was a Judahite. Yeah. yeah. And Josephus described the same event where the ten tribes were carried out of Canaan. Um, so, um, Salman Maneser, yeah, <laughs> Sal- king of Assyria. Salman king of Assyria. Yep. Salman the king of Assyria, was very angry and made an expedition against Samaria in the seventh year of reign of Hosea. But when he was not admitted into the city by the king, he besieged Samaria three years and took it by force in the ninth year of the reign of Hosea. And in the seventh year of Hezekiah, king of Jerusalem, and uh, quite demolished the governments of the Israelites and transported planted all the people into Media and Persia. And that is the area, Median Persia, I guess, because Azerbaijan is just north of Iran. So that right. is in this area. That's right. And Media uh, and Persia are lands of the Aramaeans, the ancestors of the Hebrews and uh, relatives of the Hebrews. So uh, you know, we were in a company of our kinspeople when we were placed there. Okay, but they were not Israelites, but they were many of them were in fact Hebrews and certainly Shemites. Back to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when he had removed these people out of their land, he transplanted other nations out of um, Kutha and, and place so called, for there is still a river of, uh, of that name in Persia, um, in Samaria and into the country of the Israelites. So the ten tribes of Israel were removed out of Judah. Judea, 947 years after their forefathers were come out of the land of Egypt and possessed themselves of this country. Yes. And that's from Flavius Josephus. Yeah, so you can see that uh, Josephus is relating the history of the ten tribes, all, actually all twelve tribes, and none of them were called Jews. And the, and the title, Antiquities of the Jews, is a false title. It should be the Antiquities of Judah. Because this has nothing to do with Jews. It has everything to do with Israelites. And primarily he's, because he was a citizen of Judah. And he was a descendant of a priestly tribe and a kingly, uh, and a kingly uh, um, what do you call it, uh, declension. All right? He had uh, kingly ancestors as well. As he relates in his autobiography, he was a Judahite, not a Jew. All right. And we have to make this distinction very clear for everybody. There's a difference between a Judahite and a Jew. They are not the same genome. Okay? The the Jews descend from Esau and various other 
Yeah, and they they and they reckon their descent through the mother, not through the father, which is totally anti-scriptural. Okay, everything the Jews do is anti-scriptural, and they lie. They lie constantly. <laughs> it's a land of lies, lying day to day, and unfortunately, because they control media, people believe their lies. Okay. All right, folks, that wraps it up for today. I hope we gave you a really good indication of the migratory paths of our ancestors and why we are who we are. We are the 12 tribes of Israel, the Caucasian people. Thanks for listening. Praise Yahweh. See you all next time. Thank you, Michael. Thank you. Blessings to all. Okay. Bye-bye. Yeah.